Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 129 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my brother, Andrew. Whoa, it's me. My friend, Toby. (laughs) What? And my husband, Dylan's the sound recordist. I don't know what's happening. I switched it around, you guys. Is this the way it is for the next 100 episodes? Is this what you're going to do to me? Ooh, I'm just going to keep you guys on your toes. You'll never know who I'll call first. Maybe it'll be Dylan first. No, you can't do that. Then Andrew will be able to one-up me. (laughs) (laughs) Chaos reigns. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 101 Dalmatians. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing pretty, pretty okay. I'm doing Pretty great. Solid. I've been looking for a really special coat made out of puppies, and I just can't latch onto it. But I'll find it. We were just watching that movie with Maggie, and we're like, "Why does it have to be puppies? Why not adult dogs?" They have the softest the soft, fur, Bailey. Fu- oh. Yeah, and it's flexible because they got the room to grow. I have no idea. I've never made a <laughs> coat out of I. dogs, believe it or not. What? <laughs> it just seems like business management, though. She only has a. Workforce of two people to for 101 Dalmatians. That's it. It's a lot. It's true. And they're both comically bad henchmen. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but they, All they ar- have to do is murder some puppies. She already That's had 99. It. Why did she need the last, like, nine or whatever? I don't understand. Math. She's a very precise tailor. So wait, are you suggesting that 99 no. plus 9 no, my equals bad. 101? <laughs> my bad. Yeah, what? My bad, my bad. <laughs> no, we're keeping it in. <laughs> It's the Mandela effect. You didn't watch the 108 Dalmatians? There were a hun- There were 99 puppies, and then Pongo and Perdita made 101. So that was my bad. I messed it up. I forgot how many there were. I'm really sorry. I'll, I'll leave when the podcast When I was a kid, I definitely, I definitely thought Pongo and Perdita had 99 puppies. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> didn't realize how no, messed yeah, up definitely, that was. Definitely in the same boat. Mm-hmm. On that note, does anybody have any shame? <laughs> I have done some some reading and some acquiring. Okay. So one of those is shame. Um, so I have been feeling the pressure of the end of the year and my Goodreads goal, um, as I'm sure mm. everyone understands. And so I've been trying to slam through some books. So I read- Slam si- it! Since our last <laughs> podcast, I read five books. In addition to the one for this podcast. So I will take um, claps now and praise. I'm not going to clap on a podcast. It's terrible. Yeah, no, it's coming in the mail. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I read some books that were not on the to-read list. They were Uh. Burning Girls by C.J. Tudor. This was a five-star book. This is a very good spooky season book. It's both a thriller and a horror novel. It's a priest is moved to a small English town where mysterious things have been happening to the past priests that have been there. And people claim to be seeing um, the ghosts of girls who were martyred because they were Protestant instead of Catholic by being burned. So people are seeing burning girls. Anyway, five stars. You're welcome, first of all. I also- Sorry, that was a that was a Christmas gift for Bailey at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, well, remember when Andrew burned all those girls for you? I was like, okay. Yeah, I like how you moved on as though you're like, yeah, of course you burned those I, I thought you were saying that you were a Catholic burning Protestants. I don't know. Um, no, I bought you a book. <laughs> I the read, same. I read um, uh, on audiobook World War Z. It's not what you think. It's not the movie. It's- sort of interviews with the different characters involved with the zombie uprising. Um, so it's kind of like listening to interviews, a little bit like... Um, interview with a vampire? I was going to say Daisy Jones and the Six, but yeah, sure, Interview with a Vampire. <laughs> no, Interview with a Vampire is not like that. <laughs> so that was good. And then I read I'm Glad My Mom Died by Janet McCurdy. Unfortunate oh, title. That? It's hard to say that you enjoyed that book, but this was also five stars. Excellent memoir. I had never seen iCarly, so I didn't know Jeanette McCurdy, mm. but she's one of the stars of iCarly, and it's about her really complicated, toxic relationship with her emotionally, physically abusive mother. And I, I read that in one night on audiobook. And then I did read two books off the to-read list, Wilding Home. What? Wow. Yep. They're bonus books. Rude. See, I was trying to do ones that wouldn't take away episodes, and then I needed some more short books. So I read Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, which I think both of you have read. That's a really quick one because mostly it's structured like a screenplay. And, okay. and then Wilding Hall, which is another spooky book, only 150 pages. This one is kind of like Daisy Jones and the Six, where you're hearing the perspective of uh, folk musicians telling the story of what happened with the creation of their greatest album, which was recorded in a haunted house where one of the members disappeared. Dun, oh. dun. 
Probably not every book is Daisy Jones or the Six. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to be like, it's like Daisy Jones and the Six. It's all these different ghosts and be like, oh, we scared them really good in 79. But then in 80, you know, our scares really, really tanked. Yeah. I believe I also bought you Wilding Hall, so you're welcome. But also, based on the cover, I would have no idea that that was what that book was about. I would have assumed it was like a Wuthering Heights knockoff. It does look like it, but it's it's like one of these ancient, not ancient, but maybe it was built in like the 1400s English manor. So it huh. kind of just looks like a scary house. I was going to say, things really started falling apart for the ghost band when the lead singer got into ectoplasm. Yeah. <laughs> You I really wanted to get that one in there. I get with Mumford and Sons covers of Ghostbusters. <laughs> anyway, I recommend all those. Um, and then I did, I did buy one book, but you know, I've already started reading it, so I'm not that ashamed. But the book mm-hmm. I bought is called Small Game by Blair Braverman, which is about like sort of a survival type show where the contestants are all thrown together and then something goes wrong. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. All that's to say, you know, I got a little shame, but ultimately my two-read list is down to 128. Not bad. That's not awesome. Bad. How's your Goodreads goal going? Well, I'm only one book behind. That, that's crazy. You were at like 13 books behind. I know. I w- yeah. yeah, it was Well nuts. done, Bailey. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for the praise. Let's not talk about my Goodreads goal. And Andrew, did you have any shame? Even though I've been the most shameful person recently, I do not have any this time. Though I will say, despite working very hard to cut my Goodreads goal down, I have let it grow again and need to act quickly if I want to get anywhere close to finishing. Toby, uh, I heard that you kind of tried to brush past your Goodreads goal. I saw that you were, what, like 15 books behind? Uh, I think it's 17 and do not understand the phrase brush past. <laughs> We're going to not talk about it. Yeah, I think this is the first my first year where I'm straight up giving up. I'm just not going to make it. I said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, a big no thank you to Critical Role, um, which just decimated my reading goal this year. So, you know, it was worth it. <laughs> and I would just want to say we had some good reception for episode 100. I was glad that people oh. who love Anne of Green Gables were still happy with our reviews. So, yeah, you're welcome, Pejos. You're freaking welcome. So one other thing I'll say is that Dylan and I, like, did, like, we had, like, adult time last night. That doesn't sound right. We did oh, things wow. that we <laughs> This is what we're talking about on the podcast now? No. Oh, man. I have to start again. Okay. We went outside our house and did things that were not... You did adult okay. things outside the house? Okay. We went to a concert and we saw a play. <laughs> oh, nice. Which, in the same night? In the same day. Yeah. It was pretty nice. Whoa. It was like... Did, did you like file your taxes and drink wine afterwards for the most adult day ever? <laughs> it was way too much theater. No, it was kind of like when you haven't had... Like you're on a diet and you haven't had sugar for a week and then you're like, all oh, the candy. Like we haven't left the house two things at once. So we saw a play called 222, A Ghost Story. Andrew, have you heard of this play? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I haven't. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, it's a play that's a ghost story, and I won't say anything else, but we had fun. And then we saw Postmodern Jukebox, which was a really fun concert. It was fun because it was like clearly made for people like us who are parents. And wanted to sit down the whole time. (laughs) And wanted to sit down the whole time and like have a nice intermission in the middle. Yeah. Anyway, that's my news. I'm an adult. I read books. Excellent. Good adult time. Thank you. And Dylan. So I'm desperate to know what you thought about the book that you read this week, if indeed you read a book at all. Dun, dun, dun. I did. I did. I'm, I've kept a streak alive of actually reading the books that I'm supposed to read for the podcast. I'm sure I'm going to fail one of these days. But for this episode, I read Fairy Tale by Stephen King. Ooh. Ooh. Once upon a time, Toby read a gosh darn book. <laughs> it's Stephen true. King. It's true. So I, did, I couldn't fit this one into a log line, but here's your short introductory summary. Hailed as a return to form by one of the original masters of horror, Stephen King's fairy tale tells the story of a young man named Charlie Reed who is driven by a sacred promise to aid an old man in his neighborhood when he falls off a ladder in the backyard of his ancient house. As Charlie grows closer to Howard, and more specifically to Howard's geriatric German shepherd radar, he discovers that the old man may be guarding a secret, one that has to do with his seemingly sourceless wealth and with the continually locked shed in the backyard. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, I like the name radar for a dog. Is it filled with like alien spiders or something? Uh, it's called fairy tale, so yeah, it's Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher really is called well. Dreamcatcher. <laughs> um, <laughs> Toby, did, did you read this on audiobook? Yes, I did. I did. And Bailey, I think did you finish it? Did you read this one too? Yes, I did. I have a lot of very strong opinions, and I'm going to rein myself in until the end. But I will just say. 
for those of you who want to enjoy audiobooks, Stephen King himself reads part of it as Howard Bowditch. That's true. <laughs> yeah, he's Howard Bowditch in a letter. I don't know how he reached that decision. He's like, I want to play this character. But only in this the one part. The grumpy old man. <laughs> Yeah, but he's good. He's a good, you know, I think he fits the character well when he reads that. So this book is a little strange. I'm going to try and not do major spoilers, um, but it's hard to talk about this book at all without spoiling some stuff. So I'll just say at the very, very top of this, if you like Stephen King and you're curious about reading this book and you have somehow managed to avoid all of the promotional stuff about it and you don't know what it's about really at all, read it and don't find out anything about the plot. Don't listen to this review. But, you know, play the podcast anyway, so we get to play. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the, if you're into books, there's no way you've avoided the marketing for this book. But if you have, read it without experiencing the marketing. But what about the title, Toby? Well, that being said, I will, I'll jump right into this is not an orc or an elf. I will just say this is a, my gripe about the promotion of this book. The promotion of this book is basically a giant spoiler, right? Mm -hmm. um, the promotion of this book you know, and here we go, is basically they tell you, yeah, you know, what's in the shed? It's a fairy tale world. Like Charlie's going to go into a fairy tale world. That's just if you read the back jacket, if you read any of the reviews about it, that's just straight up, you know, how they're advertising this book. And I get it. They have to sell books. It's a really interesting hook. It's Stephen King telling fairy tales. But in my opinion, it would have been so much more exciting and so much more interesting to not know it was in the shed because I certainly wouldn't have called it. Maybe I would have with some hints earlier in the book, but it would have been super surprising to me as opposed to kind of frustrating that it takes Charlie a very, 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 very long time to get into the fairy tale world. Yeah, the the first part is what, like, more than half the book, at least half the book before he even goes into the shed. Yes, I'm going to have a I'm going to have a section where I talk about that in the orcs. OK, I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to um, rein myself in. I'm going back into yeah, the shed. For someone who's reining herself in, you're not <laughs> going back in the shed. Um, let's jump into elves and orcs. I'm going to do elves first. I think Charlie's motivation, he has two main motivations. He has a motivation to help Howard and then he has a motivation to kind of enter the world beyond the shed. Right. I'm not going to spoil his motivation for the entering the world beyond the shed. But because that motivation to help uh, Howard is right at the beginning of the book, I'm do a minor spoiler for that. His motivation for this is basically when he's a kid, his mother dies in a really tragic way when he's young and his father like snaps into alcoholism immediately, like severe, grim alcoholism. And Charlie is a young kid and he has to deal with this. And he basically like prays to God and he says, like God with a capital G. And he's like, please, if you help my dad get sober, I will owe you one forever. And his dad gets sober. And so Charlie has this kind of messed up promise that he's made to God hanging over his head. And it's kind of what he uses to get involved with this old man who really, you know, does should he get involved with this old dude who needs his help? Is it normal for him to do that? No. But I think King does it in a really clever way, in a way that is kind of touching and also kind of complicated because is it a good thing that he's made this, you know, kind of, it's not his fault his father was an alcoholic and now he has this like debt hanging over his head. So I thought that was actually really well done. Yeah, it was clearly the ghost at the hotel that their father was watching over. Well, this yeah, is not The Shining. It was his return to form. <laughs> and then he, I, I won't say anything about his motivation to enter the world, but Bailey, I mean, do you agree his motivation for why he goes into the world, the fairy tale world, isn't that great? Isn't that like, like on a movie poster? Um... I don't uh -oh. know. I <laughs> His motivation, I would say, is clear but misguided. Like, I but... would not do what he what he's planning on doing. Really? In, in, or, yeah, I think so. <gasps> because it's just, okay. I just think, like, at a certain point, you have to, I, I can't say things without spoiling. Accept things. Yeah, accept, okay. accept so, what's okay. going to happen. And he's trying to change As things. As someone who hasn't read this book, this is fascinating because I'm just hearing <laughs> yeah. you both like stop Maybe I shouldn't have asked. from saying. It, yeah, that's a pretty pretty great question to be asked on a podcast, isn't it, Bailey? How, what do you think about this thing we're not going to talk about? I also just think like you don't need that big of a motivation. Like if there's a weird portal, you're going to want to go through that portal. <laughs> the motivation could be that it's true. Stephen King's deadline was approaching. It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> Um, I'll also say that as far as elves, I genuinely liked um, Charlie and Howard's kind of friendship relationship, which, as Bailey has mentioned, takes up more than 50 percent of the book. This kind of interaction he has with this old man and the secret that the old man is guarding. At the first, I was like, OK, this is going to be kind of boring. We'll just get through it. But to me, it felt genuine and, you know, very Stephen Kingy. Like it was Stephen King in his zone doing Stephen Kingy stuff. And I was like, I like this. My last elf is I really love Radar. She's a good dog. And... 
I really liked Radar. I thought she was really cute. I thought she was written well and a uh, very like adorable dog on the page. I agree. There we go. Finally, some common ground. <laughs> now, on to the orcs. In the dedication to this book, Stephen King writes this phrase, thinking of R-E-H, E-R-B, and of course, H-P-L. Here, we assume he's talking about Robert E. Howard, who wrote many things, but among them the Conan the Barbarian series, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who wrote Tarzan, John Carter of Mars, and many other things, and H.P. Lovecraft, which, you know, he's famous for Call of Cthulhu and his kind of Cthulhu verse of creepy eldritch stuff. Did you figure those out on your own? I had to Google it a little bit. Okay. Um, I knew I knew two out of three. I'll say that. I knew one out of three. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I read that, I, I, you know, or you, you know, I'm reading the audiobook, so it's like dictated to me. And I was like, wow, those are some really, really different styles of storytelling, different styles of world building, different styles of adventure and horror. I wonder if he's going to try and like mix them all in this book. And he does <laughs> to a uh, mixed success, I'd say at best. There are so many like hard shifts in the story between like, you know, at first it's a Stephen King, you know, old dude mentoring a young dude story. Then we hard shift into an adventure story with like some creepy undertones. Okay, cool. Then we hard shift into an HP Lovecraft like eldritch horror, which is the strangest of them, especially because Stephen King sort of switches into an HP Lovecraft style of writing for like mm, 15 pages and then doesn't come back to it. And it definitely feels like he was writing, you know, he was sitting down at his computer for a couple days and was like, I'll try this out. And then was like, well, I can't write the whole book like that. And just kind of comes back to his normal way. <laughs> you know, the, the styles never really meshed for me. They felt very jarring to be next to each other, especially the H.P. Lovecraft stuff, which I think you could probably get away with merging the first two authors. But H.P. Lovecraft, his whole thing is like a rejection of the pulp horror standards of his time. That's like who he is, is he doesn't want to be part of these other stories. And so to kind of cram his, you know, cosmic horror style in there really did not gel for me. Bailey, any thoughts? I'm not sure if I should be out of the shed quite yet because I feel like I'm going to go off. Okay. We can uh -oh. wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold off. Okay. Um, so to me, you know, on note on that kind of section of <laughs> criticism is that to me, the best parts of this book are when Stephen King is imitating Stephen King, um, but they're kind of jam-packed alongside other styles that, you know, just aren't as good. I've said it before and I'll say it again because this book is marketed how it is. You know that Charlie's going into that shed and my God, it takes so long for him to get there. Like laughably long. As we said, over half of this very long book, which is just silly in the end. I think we were texting about it, Toby, and you said something like, which I agree with, that the beginning part takes so long, but ultimately you it's the better part. But then if you told yeah. yourself that before you started reading the book, you would have been really mad. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, so, and we'll move on uh, to Charlie Reed. You know, just your normal 17-year-old dude in modern-day America. Um, of course, he's obsessed with music and movies that exclusively were made in the 60s and 70s. He only watches Turner Classic movies with his dad, so he never mm -hmm. references anything like newer than 1981. It's just, <laughs> uh, it, it becomes kind of funny where it's like, King was not even bothered to try and write this kid like he's from modern day at all. Because he's so blatant about it, I think it kind of, he gets away with it. But there are times where it's like, I don't even, why even, why even set this in 2022? Or, you know, whenever it's set. Like, why why bother? They do watch The Voice, Toby. That's true. Yes, they but do the watch. The, I'm sorry. They do reference like two things. Oh, so it's set in 2016. Well, yeah, exactly. The Voice that mm. came out in 2009. Yeah. So I just thought that was funny. And then also Charlie himself is like super boring. He is he is a very much like a goody two shoes type of guy, which is strange for Stephen King, except that he has these kind of, hard, again, really hard shifts when Stephen King tries to give him like an edge, tries to make him a lot darker. And instead of coming off as like a rounded character, he just comes off as like a goody two shoes who, when the moment is right, really, really breaks character and does some dark, violent stuff. There's some pretty standard for King fat phobia in the guise of body horror. I'm sure he would claim it to be body horror. But, uh, you know, I complained about that earlier when talking about King and it's, it's no longer 1982 or whatever you can't be like oh it's a different time pretty it's rough also a little misogynistic too definitely a lot yeah. of that 
my last orc, um, is there is actually a really interesting idea once Charlie gets into the fairy tale world about how this fairy tale world is kind of acting upon him and sort of forcing him into a role that it wants him to assume for the sake of the world. And I can't get into any more detail than that. But it's a really interesting idea about how becoming part of a story can change you. And when it starts, I'm like, I was like, wow, this is cool. I, I'm really on board for this. I really want to see where it goes. And in the end, it just turns out to be kind of like a trick so that Charlie can talk to the residents of that world and kind of get around and do some hero stuff. Like, I don't think it's developed in any way. I don't think it comes to fruition except for like the plot. There's no like interesting aspects of it explored. So yeah, that was a, a really big letdown for me. Now, Bailey, I'm going to let you out of your cage. What'd you think? I'm opening the door. <laughs> Very scary. Oh, God. Okay. Um, first of all, Toby, I agree with everything that you you said mm-hmm. about Charlie, about the world, about what parts were more interesting. I did like Radar. Mm-hmm. Just in general, like, the hook is the fantasy world. So you're really thinking this is going to be great. I want to see Stephen King's fairy tales. But yep. it's the most standard fairy tale you can ever imagine. <laughs> there, I kept That's waiting true. for a twist and it just was very standard. Um, and that was very frustrating. Do you think um, Neil Gaiman somewhere just like cackling? Yeah, it's just <laughs> like, I just at the end of it was like, why did I read this? I do not think it's a return to form in any which way. Um, mm-hmm. I did not find it scary. Um, I thought the most interesting parts were the human dynamics at the beginning, but that doesn't yep. feel necessary to have read a whole book of it. Um, and I was just very angry. And I was like, why? Why? You've tricked me, Stephen. Absolutely not. Two stars. Ooh, two stars. Wow. Brutal. <laughs> I'm going to do some ending thoughts before I get my stars, but I, I feel your frustration. I had a few other nitpicky issues I'm not going to go into, but my main issue seems to be similar to Bailey's, which is people calling this a return to form or it's one of his best, which is just silly to look Absolutely at a book not. like The Shining or It and say that this is on the level of it. Like, I, I may have been really harsh on this book, but it's because I was promised a big piece of candy and it was like an old Tootsie Roll. Return to form, more like return for refund. <laughs> Thank you, More Dylan. like a Necco wafer. Yeah, so I, I, I only am frustrated because I love Stephen King a lot when he's really on form. Uh, he's kind of formative to my reading experience. I always look forward to his books. And it's like, give the attention that this book got to The Outsider, for example, which came out a few years ago, and I really enjoyed, and they made a pretty good TV show out of. Oh. I also um, wanted to, but couldn't get a hold of a copy of a book that I really enjoyed when I was a kid called The Eye of the Dragon by Stephen King, which is one of his only books that he's written for children, except that it is still like much scarier than this book. Um, and it's like a pure fantasy world. It's about like princes and princesses and an evil vizier. Um, there's like a thing with like a an acid where it's like a grain of sand. And if you drop it on your skin, it burrows all the way to the center of your body, you know, for kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, that one I remember being like really good. So I wish I could vouch for it again. I'm going to read it and let you know. But that's the kind of Stephen King fairy tale I wanted and didn't get. So feel a bit bad raining on the King Parade. I'm not gonna, I didn't hate it quite as much as Bailey, but yeah, real letdown, three stars. Mm. Wow. And let mm. this be a lesson for you, Toby, about skipping the choosing. <laughs> yeah, I know. My hubris got slapped. <laughs> for those who don't remember, Toby picked this book for himself and Look where it got you, Toby. Look where it friggin' got me. All right. Well, Andrew, you know, I know that we've had several Stephen King, at least at least two Stephen Kings on the podcast. But do you have any facts on Mr. Steve King? So, Pedro's, if you want a very uh, in-depth bio of Stephen King, listen to uh, the Skeleton Crew episode. It came out around Halloween last year. I'll give you the briefest of rundowns, which is that Stephen King was born on September 21st, 1947 in Portland, Maine. We spent a lot of time in that episode making fun of Maine. Toby, when defending Maine, Bailey and Andrew. Um, <laughs> he's married to Tabitha, who's a novelist in her own right, and father to Naomi, who is a Unitarian Universalist minister, oh, yeah. uh, and two authors, Joe and Owen. We spent a lot of time ragging on Naomi also. In that One episode. of these things is not like the other. <laughs> so what I did instead, I even put together a page of short hit facts about Stephen King, which I thought were interesting. Nice. Excellent. Is one of your facts that weird picture of Drew Barrymore lighting his cigarette? Uh, no, it isn't, but sure. Okay. Yeah, she's like she's like nine or ten. I think she was in like an adaptation of Firestarter or something. It's crazy. Yeah, she was. 
Sorry, Andrew. I don't mean to stomp on your facts with my b- brilliant research. Is one of your facts yes, I mean, that he sat the in fact an image? <laughs> is one of your facts that he sat in front of me at a baseball game once? Whoa. That was mentioned in the last episode. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, we've already covered that. <laughs> Let me fly now. Fine. So uh, first fact, both of his sons are novelists, and his son Owen King has done multiple collaborations with Stephen King, including the novel Sleeping Beauties. Mm. But I think it's more interesting that their original collaboration was on a G.I. Joe toy, who's a Cobra hypnotist that what? Stephen King designed with <laughs> help of Owen. How did that come about? <laughs> I don't have more information, and I will not be taking follow-up questions. <laughs> uh, you don't know if this was an actually produced toy or if it was just like a drawing that Oh, no, it was. It, oh. it was a, it's, a, it's a Cobra hypnotist. You can see it. It came out in the 80s, and okay. it was designed by Stephen King with <sighs> help from Owen based on their interests. That's so cool. All right. Imagine melting that with a magnifying glass, knowing that your dad designed it. Naomi. (laughs) (laughs) Another interesting thing is he encourages uh, young filmmakers to use his work to make their first films. He has a program called the Dollar Babies program. I don't know if it's still going, but basically any student or young filmmaker can adapt his work for one dollar as long as they exhibit it for free. Mm. Um, If they make a profit and it becomes a big success, they then have to pay a percentage. But so right now, if you wanted to get started out, you could adopt a Stephen King property for one dollar if you don't plan on trying to sell it. Anyone? Uh, Like you could do The Shining? You can. Yeah. An old classmate of mine actually did uh, one of the passenger. I've never heard of that short story, but he turned it into a short film and said it to film festivals. Well... That's smart. Well, I don't think this is who your classmate is, but Frank Darabont. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Frank, Frank Darabont uh, was one of the first people who took part in this program. He adapted The Woman in the Room, um, which is a short story. You may know Frank Darabont as the man who w- would go on to direct The Shawshank Redemption and The Mist, uh, mm-hmm. two very popular Stephen King adaptations. And The Green Mile. Mm-hmm. And The Green Mile. Oh, well, there you go. You're and welcome, Stephen King. The Mist. The Mist, five-star movie. Yeah, good movie. Shawshank Redemption, I'd argue, is also a good movie. He's on the growing list of authors who have appeared as themselves in The Simpsons. Ah, yes. But he goes beyond such authors as Neil Gaiman and uh, Thomas Pynchon in that he also has a Simpsons action figure based on his cameo. Wow. So he apparently really likes action figures. Yeah, there's a lot of action figure content. In 2014, he received the National Medal of the Arts from President Barack Obama. Oh, snap. That's the president. That's a serious fact, y'all. Thanks, Obama. That is a serious okay. fact. <laughs> I'm going to get even more serious. King was the victim of a notorious car accident in Maine, which left him extremely injured. After he recovered, though, we're going to get a little less serious now. After he recovered, he bought the van that hit him, ostensibly to keep it from being resold as like a macabre collector's item, uh. and told the Bridgeton local paper that he was going to beat it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I'd say it's yeah. foreboding with him writing Christine, but he's also written like a bunch of random objects attacking people. So yeah, it's only about our time. I yeah. will say I would not have been wanted to be the guy that hit him. I feel like, oof. Well, that guy died mysteriously a few years after. He also lived near a pet I cemetery. I think it was probably just like cardiac arrest, but oh. like the stories going around were like he died in his sleep and no one knows why. Mm. So King had published five books under the pseudonym Richard Bachman. Mm. Um, including Thinner. Apparently, King would have continued to do this, but the sixth book that was going to be that was marketed under the name Bachman was Misery and was outed by a clever bookstore clerk as being King's. I don't know the entire story as to why this bookstore clerk figured it out, but somehow they made the connection and um, Stephen King gave them credit and then stopped publishing under that name. Yeah, I think um, what happened is that the bookstore clerk noticed that the the author photo of Richard Bachman in the back of the book was just Stephen King with like mayonnaise all over his face. Or he or he noticed <laughs> that the plot of misery is that, you know, an author gets kidnapped by their biggest fan, right, and tortured. But the author was Stephen King in the book. So they were like, huh. Have you noticed these all take place in Maine? <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, the author photo was actually a picture of his agent's like insurance advisor. What? Nice. And you can see the picture. Why would he do a pseudonym? Was he just like making too many books? And they're like, Stephen, nobody's going to believe. That was the reason given by EW.com, 70 Facts for Stephen King's 70th birthday, was that he was worried about inundating the market too much. Uh-huh. So he published under a different name for a while. Gotcha. Wow. Good problem. Was that when he, was that when he was doing Mountains of Cocaine? Was he writing too many books at once? <laughs> Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. He appears on an episode, so going into like cameos, he actually really likes to be in cameos of his own things or like even in kind of larger roles. For example, this isn't one of his own properties, but he appears on the TV show Sons of Anarchy as a character named 
Bachman, who oh. was a loner biker who's dubbed the cleaner for being good at disposing of bodies. Apparently, I haven't seen it, but it's not a small part. <laughs> Sons of Anarchy wow. is a weird show because it's like, what, seven seasons? It's seven and, seasons, 20 episodes each. And but for some Dylan reason, and I watched the first six seasons and then stopped. Why? No, no. We watched the first six, six and, and a half. half. Yeah. And literally the show was wrapping up. It's like, I don't want to finish this. I'm done. <laughs> but yes, Stephen King appears repeatedly throughout it. And it's kind of weird where it's like this mysterious biker guy, Stephen King. But everybody knows this is Stephen King, right? He says he has uh, three heroes, Cormac McCarthy, Uh-oh. Martin Scorsese, hmm. and David Ortiz, former Red Sox. Hmm. No, n- no women. No women on there. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but David Ortiz transcends gender because he's the greatest <laughs> human being ever on gender. <laughs> All right. And the final fact. I will bring in to conclude this insane fact listing is his favorite movie snack is junior mints. He pokes onto a toothpick and he calls them mint kebabs so that he doesn't get chocolate on his fingers. I respect that. (laughs) It's hey, it's ingenuity. I thought that everybody did what I did, which is like just pour them from the box into your mouth. Oh, Bailey, you you theater animal. Uh, Jillian puts them in the popcorn yeah. like oh. whiplash. Yeah, no, yeah. that's how you get chocolate on your fingers. But yeah, he he was saying like, I never sneak candy in, but I sneak in toothpicks to make my mint kebabs. <laughs> Somehow that's worse, Stephen. Somehow that's worse. Why See, does that's what happens? That's what happens if you've been giving interview interviews for forty years. Yeah. Why doesn't he just take one toothpick and reuse the one toothpick? Gross. That'd be even more insane. <laughs> Slowly covered with like calcified remains of junior mints and <laughs> no, entrails. No, I mean in, uh, for every movie, there's only one tooth. Anyway, great facts, Andrew. Good facts, Thank you. Andrew. There are a lot more. He has a lot of strange facts. So awesome. All right. Well, that is Fairy Tale by Stephen King. Three stars. So, Bailey, now that you've reviewed Toby's book for him, did you review a book of your own? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to review Bailey's book. Oh, oh, great. Good. No, I'm not. Uh, Yes. I... This is an interesting one. I did read a book this week. I read a book called Schooled by Anisha Lakani. Let me tell you about Schooled. The first thing you need to know is not a lot of people have read this book. You can't see it, but she grabbed a chair and flipped it around and then had it with her legs open. Dangerous mind style. Yeah. I love it. So this book, I picked it up because of the subject matter. So it hits a lot of my interests. Schooled is about a young Ivy League graduate who decides that she wants to become a teacher. And she gets a job at a fancy Manhattan private school. And she is like very excited, but finds that the kids are just, they don't have any grit. They don't have any stamina. And come to find out, they are all being, quote, tutored by by people that their parents give a lot of money to, to essentially write their papers for them. Hmm. And it becomes frustrating because the character whose name is Anna, is trying trying to survive as a teacher. Even though she's at this fancy private school, she barely makes enough money to like live on her own. Mm-hmm. But she sees the people who are cheating the system as um, tutors, quote unquote, just like wearing all these designer clothes and everything because they're able to cheat the system and make money off the parents that just want their kids to get into an Ivy League school and don't care if they learn anything. So okay. this appealed to me because, as you may know, I was a teacher. And an Ivy League graduate. You also went to the same school as her. I did. I did. I went to Columbia Teachers College. Heard of it? Heard of it? This is one of the elves of the book. I think a lot of what she's talking about, the issues, I have also experienced as a teacher. So I taught both at a public high school in the Bronx and I taught at a private school in Los Angeles. Very different worlds, the public and the private. I don't know necessarily Mm. New York versus LA. But my experience was the people at the private school, the kids had so much less ability to cope to handle any kind of stress than the kids in the Bronx. The kids in the Bronx, I could give a test to and they'd be like, no big deal. The kids in LA at at this fancy school would freak out and be like, well, there's a test. Oh my God, I need time. I need extra time, blah, 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 which is very similar to what happens to the kids in here. Similarly, the school I taught, they didn't give grades. They, you had to write like this long page long evaluation of the student, which then they ended up translating to a grade for the transcript so they could get into college. Of course. But but the idea is that, you know, you want to be nice to the kids. You want to give them, you know, what do they call it? Strengths and stretches instead of like, you know, Ds. Yeah. But it just puts more work on the teacher because then they have to spend yeah. hours and hours writing these things. So it's OK, though, Bailey, because being a teacher is a notoriously easy job. <laughs> that's Anybody the thing. Could do it. 
I was also very, very briefly a tutor. And I was like, I can't do this because it was just it just felt like cheating. Because these students are privileged enough to afford a tutor, they're getting help that other students mm. aren't getting. It's just yeah. not fair. It, it doesn't show their smarts. It just shows how much money their parents have. So mm-hmm. that I thought was interesting. And that propelled me forward through the book. There were also other moments that became it became clear to me that the author was a teacher. And I know that also from her bio. Also, the fact that this seems like a Romana Aklef. It seems like it's about her life. Like her name is Anisha. The character's name is Anna. <laughs> They, they graduated from the same school. I don't know. Tanisha. Yeah. Wow. It seems kind yeah, of obvious. I wonder how her students feel about this thinly veiled criticism. <laughs> but, but it seems like she did understand. Like she had a part, for example, where she talked about sort of the realization, like she was getting frustrated by the students, like sort of the mean girl kids being mean to her as the teacher and bullying her and mm. being really mad and then realizing they're just kids. They're just children. And I actually had to have that realization when I was a teacher. I was so frustrated frustrated by these kids. And then I was like, they're just, they're children. They're 14 years old. Those are the elves. The orcs are that, this is, this is not a good book, you guys. It's it's, it's, (laughs) uh, the most clear orc ever delivered on this podcast. Because it was written, I believe I want to say like 2006 or 2008. There's a lot of outdated references. For example, our character runs into such amazing people that she reveres like Harvey Weinstein, Kanye West, and Donald Trump. (laughs) She's like, wow, I'm in this fancy place with Harvey Weinstein eating next to me. Oh, God. And there are a lot of... I like to imagine those are the only three celebrities mentioned. (laughs) I mean, not far off. Some of the characterization is offensive, the way she characterizes trans people, little people. It's like she's using words that she should not be using. The character, the main character, Anna, I found completely unsympathetic in that her main motivation is to get designer clothes and have different outfits fits to impress her students with like oh miss your chanel bag is that why the book cover is literally a shopping bag and nothing related to school it's a shopping bag and a broken pencil Uh, do you get it pencils break at school i get it (laughs) but yeah so like for me i I don't respond to this motivation i don't care about designer clothes Mm. so i'm like uh, who cares you kind of know going in what the character's arc's going to be and it took a long time to get there for a character who is supposedly an ivy league graduate sometimes she seems a little stupid like she, she had, she's well she, whoa only people from ivy league schools are smart is that what you're saying I'm, no, I'm saying she's supposed to be this like sort of very smart wide-eyed wonderkind but someone is like i need an EpiPen, and she's like what's an EpiPen?" and i'm like are you serious i just feel like you would know what that was they give you one at columbia first day <laughs> welcome to teaching school here's your EpiPen. I, to be fair, I was rejected from every Ivy League school I applied to. However, I will say there is a certain subset of people who maybe aren't as worldwise, even though they've gone to Ivy League schools. <laughs> okay, well, you can't be mad about this. So watch us. <laughs> which is just just the writing is not good, and the characters do not feel real. For example, in the beginning, in the first chapters, when Anna is explaining to her parents and her former sorority sisters that she wants to be a teacher, they are all. Shocked and horrified. So let me give you a quote. Oh, yeah. Page seven. Sweetie, are you kidding? What are sisters for? But seriously, are you sure this is what you want to do? I mean, all the Delta Gamma sisters thought you were just messing around. Nobody thought you really wanted to teach. I have to find another one. And this is the this is the father a few pages earlier. Anna, do you realize how lucky you are? You're going to graduate from Columbia. You can be anything. Do you remember how hard it was for us all to get you where you are? Your mother and I worked so that your you and your brother could have the education that would allow you to lead comfortable lives, better lives than ours. One of my greatest achievements, Anna, is that I'm in a position to pay for you to go to law or any business school in the country you get into. Hell, you can skip grad school and I'll start you with an analyst position at Merrill Lynch. We can drive into work together. Is this making any sense to you? Do you know how much teachers actually make less than a garbage man it's just like like guys it's not that crazy to be a teacher but oh they essentially disown her by the way for deciding to be a teacher oh yeah like your parents (laughs) yeah that's yeah that's rough yeah thanks (laughs) it's funny not gonna fight you on this that's rough (laughs) it's like none of this dialogue rings true yeah it just felt very clunky and like just not well written so my 
review is I came in after reading that opening thinking this is going to be a one star book. Very rare. And I even text you guys mm-hmm. like this is a one star book. But ultimately, because as you get into the tutoringness of it all, that was interesting to me because of my experience. Ultimately, I'm going to give it two stars because I was able to get through it fast once I recognized I can just you know, speed through this. And, you know, if you were to find it at a library book sale or like, you know, when you stay at an Airbnb and they have books on the shelf, sure, pick it up and, and take what? a look. But no. I would not. If you're rating no. it two stars and you're telling people to pick it up and read it. I'm, I'm saying don't buy it. But if it's in front of you. If it's the only no. book in front of you. If you're trapped yeah. in a Stephen King world. If you're forced to read this book. <laughs> You should. Uh, but if you have any other option to read any other piece of literature, you should probably do that first. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, two stars. Now, now it makes me kind of curious. I kind of want to read The Great Secret Show just to see like what a one-star book looks like. I know. So, no, you um, no, Andrew, you Andrew, give me some facts on Anisha that will either solidify my position or make me change my mind. All right. So... This may shock you. There's not a lot on Anisha Lakani on the internet. For example, there are two places that listed her personal website. Both of those websites are no longer active. (laughs) They were different websites. They're both not active. Hmm. Um, I found this one bio blurb from HuffingtonPost.com because she was a contributing writer to them as well. Anisha Lakani is a New York City-based author, screenwriter, and freelance journalist. After receiving both her BA and MA degrees from Columbia University, Anisha taught English at Hunter College High School and then went on to teach at the Dalton School, where she was also the English chair of the middle school, middle school department. She left Dalton in 2006 to pursue a full-time career in writing. Her first novel, Schooled, was published by Hyperion Books and released nationally in the summer of 2008. Shortly after, the film rights were optioned by actress Lorraine Bracco. Lacani was also commissioned to write the screenplay adaptation. I will say I wouldn't mind watching it as a movie because they could probably fix some of the problems. I don't think the movie ever got made. That was a, that was a while ago. Unlike Stephen King, where I think there's already like cemented plans to make fairy tale into a movie. Like 100% it's going to happen. It's been out for what, three months? Yeah, I, I believe that. Why well, isn't it a movie already? Um, just to summarize sort of the rest of the facts I could find from a Health Post bio, she writes sort of freelance for a bunch of different things, including Vogue India, Teen Vogue, Condé Nest Traveler. Um, and she has uh, a beloved Shih Tzu named uh, Harold Moskowitz. Named Radar. <laughs> and is married and lives on the Upper East Side. Mm, the book takes uh, place She loves on writing. Re- no, there you go. Uh, she lists in on that thing. She listed her loves as writing, reading, blogs, website creation, HTML, Domino's Pizza, and people who love dogs. Mm. All right. Domino's Pizza. You live in New York. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was unnecessarily salty, on my opinion. All of this to say is we're dunking on this woman. She may be a very nice person. She, I think she mostly writes articles for like Huffington Post and stuff. That's what I found. But That's what I felt too. Like I feel bad saying mean things about this book, but I was just like, this is not a universal character. Like no, nobody, not nobody, but a lot of people won't identify with this woman's quote struggles. Um, yeah. So I agree. Okay, well, Schooled by Anisha Lakani. Two stars. Two stars. Dang. Bailey got two two stars in on one, and she was only supposed to read one of the books. That's true. Two stars central. Low episode for Bailey. Andrew, do you have any games to take us out of our (gasps) sad two-star land? Yes, please. I do. I have a game. Yes. It's called Fairy Tale. More like Scary Tale. (laughs) Please like me. (laughs) Scary laugh. Is that part of the title? The end part? That's the whole. The the, the whole title is Fairy Tale. More like Scary Tale. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Please like me. (laughs) I I was inspired by the the title Fairy Tale, Mm -hmm. and you know, being taught things at school. And I think we all know at this point that the original versions of certain fairy tales are much different than how we maybe think of them now. Yeah. How we maybe were taught them either through Disney or like our modern versions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Okay. So the way this game is going to work is I'm going to tell you a fairy tale. I want you to tell me what is different in the older version. And there's an option here. You can, with no hint, go for it. And if you get it right, it's worth three points. With a hint, you can get one point. If I give you a, a small hint about uh, about what part of the story is different. Okay. Does that make Ooh. sense? Yes. Yeah, so, so you're going to tell us like the conventional quote, like Disney version, and then we're going to say like what the Brothers Grimm version the Grimm, was. The Grimm, yeah. We're, okay. So I have six here. So you'll each get a cut at three of them. Okay. The first person to say the end of the phrase I say gets to go first. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Oh. Bailey gets to go first. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, Pedros, that was made up on the spot. I didn't have a mechanism for that. <laughs> was going first. All right, Bailey. So this is The Little Mermaid. What is different in the original version of The Little Mermaid? Well, in the... You keep in mind, you can request a hint. In the original one, she um, dies. She's drowned. She... She's very sad. She dies at the end. I will need you to get far more specific to there, even consider awarding There's you any a lot points. of bubbles in the water or something, and they drown her because she doesn't have fins anymore. Is that right? No, <laughs> no, no, no. That's not right. The transformation is incredibly painful. Apparently, it always feels like she's being cut in half with a sword. Mm-hmm. But the, the main difference also is that the prince marries someone else because he falls in love with someone <laughs> else, and she's told that she can murder the prince to turn back into a mermaid. Oh, wow. Um, but chooses to sacrifice herself instead, turning into sea foam, which is, I think, why Bailey was thinking about bubbles. Yeah, because she dies. She kills herself, turning into sea foam. You did not say that. You said she drowned in bubbles because she could not swim, which is different. <laughs> you were very specific on that. I get half. <laughs> Toby, it's your turn, and you get Snow White. Um, I'm going to say the prince never shows up, and um, and she's just like in the you glass. You can ask for a hint if you don't know. Okay, how about a hint? <laughs> Uh, something about the fate of the queen. The fate of the queen. Well, in the Disney version, she's just kind of like chased off, right? Uh, I'm going to say the prince chops off her, or the hunter chops off her head at the end of it. Uh, had you stuck with prince, I would have given you a point. Well, However, uh, the evil queen is made to dance in red hot slippers until she dies at their wedding <laughs> by the prince. Oh, that was my <laughs> that- second guess. <laughs> Toby, actually, you're going to get a half point there. Okay, thank you. That's very generous of you, I think. (laughs) Bailey, what about Cinderella? Cinderella, it's darker. Um, The stepsisters like cut off their own feet in an effort to fit into the shoes. That's one difference. Okay, that so you get a completely three points because that is absolutely nice. correct. For a for a bonus point, what happens to the stepsisters at the wedding? Um. They die. Are red hot slippers involved? <laughs> the force the force hits no, red hot slippers. Okay, no, no bonus points here. Uh, uh, doves or pigeons peck out their eyes. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. But I was right about the feet, right? Yeah, you're right about the feet. Bailey gets three points nice. there. Let the record show that the game, the scoring system in this game is a lot like jazz. We're improvising as we're going here. So Bailey is up three points to a half point for Toby. Sweet, sweet. Ooh, this one's tough. Beauty and the Beast, Toby. Um, I'm going to need a hint because I have no clue. Something about the ultimate relationship of um, Belle and the Beast? Uh, the ultimate relationship is that he remains a beast and she keeps him like a pet dog. <laughs> No, they are first cousins. They are first cousins. Oh, uh, gross. They force oh. cast on to dance with Red Hot. So he, so he <laughs> becomes a human. So he becomes a human, and Belle's like, Gerald? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's where I knew you from. No, I, think, I think they still got married. Um, yeah, of course. Gerald is all the so time. The, yeah. <laughs> so the other thing is the original uh, reason for the beast being turned into a beast was that he had a, like a fairy godmother sort of who was tasked with raising him who then tried to seduce him and he refused and so she turned him into the beast wow that's another difference <laughs> so this game is less of a game and more of a interesting facts listing yeah, but like here it. we go i'm into it well you're winning all right okay <laughs> bailey here is your last one see if you can build a buffer that toby cannot get past okay Little Red Riding Hood. Because I'm not a coward, I'm not going to have any hints. I'm going to say that the wolf really does eat the grandma um, and she's really dead. Is that something? Ooh, that is close. You're going to get one point for that. The fact I was looking for that would have gotten you three points was that Little Red Riding Hood was forced to eat part of her grandmother. What? (laughs) Um, Yep. Uh, Like the wolf feeds... The wolf under the guise of the grandmother feeds her some food, and part of that is oh. her grandmother. Toby, you have an opportunity with this last question. If you get a complete three points, you win Sleeping Beauty. This one is messed up. <laughs> They've all been messed up. This one's the worst. I'm going to say Sleeping Beauty, she is awoken and she's fed like a three course brunch except the brunch is like all her fairy godmothers all chopped up into pieces and then she makes prince charming uh twerk until his butt literally falls off um and then (laughs) and then uh the dragon lady just lives forever spouting fire into the sky and causes like toxic fog to kill everybody in the kingdom 
I'll take my points now. Tight, tight, tight. Uh, what about you, Bailey? Do you have a guess? Yeah, I think. <laughs> because I, spoiler alert, that's not right. I think Aww. instead of kissing her, it's like more rapey. Like I think he rapes her. Oh, oh Bailey gets three points. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, she has a kid, right? I should have said. Oh. Yeah, so the original the original version of it is a, a king comes upon her, uh, then uh, impregnates her while she's sleeping. She does not wake up. Oh god! Assaults her. Um, she has twins who um, only wake her up because one of them tries to like suckle her finger and it sucks oh. the poison out. Oh my god! And so she comes to. So Bailey runs away with it at the end there. But well, the important thing is. We all learned something. Friends we made along Did the we? way. Did we learn something? I, I, I should have said that I was briefly in a class in college about, about fairy tales. Oh, oh come on. Well, you should have gotten your, you should have gotten more answers correct. That's a six point <laughs> handicap. I win. Well, I was in it for like two classes, then I transferred to a different class. So, I didn't do so, well. uh, so just for the Sleeping Beauty one then? I guess so. Seafoam. Thank you, Andrew. Fun game. Yeah, good good job. game. Glad you liked it. Glad it was an opportunity to learn some things, <laughs> even though Dylan doesn't like that. I like to learn. Uh, now, Dylan, it's time for you to come out of the shed, and it's time for you to choose books at random for us to read next. It's time for The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. Billy. Yeah. You sure did win that. You, I mean, you really ran away with the competition. Okay. But I'm going to stop you because... Since Toby got to do it, I'm... I'm wow, wait till the wind out of my sails, no. Miss Number 50, The Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini. Okay. <laughs> oh, that would have been a good so, one. Okay. That is a good this, one. This is what I'm going to say. I came in here wanting to use my, my, what's it called, my pick, like Toby did. But I do yeah. want to read that book. So I'm going to do my pick, and then the next episode, I'll do The Kite Runner. Okay. okay. What's is that your okay? pick? Um, so my pick... So, okay, we will read The Kite Runner. I'm looking forward to that. A lot of people have read it and I haven't. Okay, et cetera. I, my pick is The Wonder by Emma Donahue. And I will say mm. the reason why I'm picking this is because the movie comes out, I think, like a day or so after we finish recording. And I really want to see the movie because I love Florence Pugh. Okay, you punk. You know what this means, Bailey. I have to read it too because yeah. it's on my list as well. <laughs> I think well, there's you... a copy of it in my house. So I think I might read it as well. Well, there you go. That'll Ooh, that's be fun. fun. It'll be yeah. wonderful. And also, it'll help towards your Goodreads goals, everyone. So you're welcome. All right. So, Don't got to rub it in. <laughs> all right. What about what about Tobin? I mean, Toby, you should check when you're looking around the house if you have any, like, you know, knickknacks or anything, or maybe an amulet. Like, number one, the mm. Amulet of Samarkand. Samarkand? Samarkand mm -hmm. by Jonathan Stroud. Ooh, number one. Samarkand. Um, it's the beginning of a series. It's a little bit more obscure. It's fantasy. I'm into it. I'm very excited. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So in two weeks on the podcast, I will be reading The Wonder by Emma Donahue and Andrew's reading Beasts of No Nation by Uzo Dinma Noela. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List podcast. And if you want to help more folks find our podcast, you could take a second and leave a five-star rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, particularly uh, true for Apple Podcast. It makes us happy. It keeps us from going into the mysterious shed in our backyards because we don't have to look for more adventure, and we would really appreciate it. And if you could take a moment uh, from gadding around town with your super well-paid tutor friends if you could just calm down sit them down <laughs> to uh you know to a nice dinner and tell them about our podcast uh because you know word of mouth is the best way to recommend our show and people really trust you uh when you're you know you're a friend you tell them about it even if you are obscenely well-paid thanks to toby and andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me to dylan for sound recording and to miss jillian beth darkey for composing our intro song see you in two weeks happy reading books books books, books. books. books.